imagine sitting in the park in the heat Stomach empty, starving to eat Palms are sweaty, heart starting to beat About to get beheaded cause you didn't take the mark of the beast Bill Gates doesn't care about black teens He's trying to alter our DNA by giving us vaccines These elite Satanists are the psychoists They preparing our bodies to accept the microchip Can you imagine walking into a Wells Fargo Not being able to withdraw money because you ain't got a barcode your right hand or your forehead if you don't take the mark of the beast you're gonna fall to the floor dead head cut off bodies squirming our own government acting like nazi germans they want us to live in fear filled with uncertainty one world government under one currency i can categorically say that this is end times this virus is breaking us down just like an enzyme there's pedophiles leaving men and women childrenless these politicians are dummies and the devil's a ventriloquist Stemming from Epstein's Island Gavin Newsom ain't your governor He's a tyrant He took away everything That makes us happy and vibrant And put a mask on us To keep us silent Can you imagine sitting in the park in the heat Stomach empty Starving to eat Palms are sweaty Heart starting to beat About to get beheaded Cause you didn't take the mark of the beast Bill Gates doesn't care about black teens He's trying to alter our DNA By giving us vaccines These elite Satanists Are the psychoists to accept the microchip. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Josh and Jason Monday Christian and Conspiracy Podcast Show. I am your host, Josh Monday. If you don't know me, I'm a Christian rapper, devoted husband, father, and army veteran. I'd like to introduce you to my co-host. He's a Christian, devoted husband, and father. What's up, Jason? How's it going, brother? Good morning. Good morning out there. It's 5 a.m. again, Josh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm uh, we knocked the sleep out of my eyes. Got the little little crispies out of there. Let's let's uh, let's go do our thing then. Let's go. And guys, we have a special guest for you. So last week we had Tim Alberino on. This week we have uh, Derek Gilbert. I'm going to show you his book. It's The Second Coming of Saturn. Okay. He's he's coming on here for free, guys. Like I always say to everybody, please, please support our guest, you know, and uh, purchase the book. You will not be disappointed. Um, Derek Gilbert, how's it going? I am doing fine. It's uh, 5 a.m. for you, 7 a.m. for me, but uh, it's still... As I get older, you know, getting up earlier in the morning is is should be getting easier. My dad used to be able to get up at five in the morning every day. I haven't got there yet, but uh, so, but <laughs> I, I don't think it ever got just, easy. I don't think anybody ever gets easy. It's just they just make <laughs> men just get up and just go, okay, let's go. Like, no one wants to be up at five a.m. No, no, but that you know that that period of my life where I could get four hours of sleep, wake up, and feel great. That's that's long gone. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> dusted for me too. Well, this is the subject. <laughs> This this is this is the kind of subject material that that gets me uh, revved up and excited to talk. So happy to join you fellows this morning. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. Like I said, I appreciate you taking your time out today. So, um, guys, I'm going to do a couple Bible verses real quick before we start, and um, I, I'm going to kind of have one of the Bible verses uh, have Derek kind of pick it apart and kind of break it down for us. But the first one is going to be uh, Deuteronomy 32 verses seven through ten. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father. And he will show thee thy elders and and will tell tell thee when the most high divided to the nations their inheritance. When he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in the desert land and in his waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept them as the apple of his eye. That's the first one. The second one is the one I want to kind of, we're going to dig into, okay? Uh, I go over this verse kind of a lot when we go through spiritual warfare, but this is going to be something I, I just, I, I've kind of heard Derek Gilbert. I think he's really good at breaking this stuff down. So Ephesians 6, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, okay? So I kind of gave, uh, uh, Derek, a list of questions on on just on this verse, you know, a few of them were were like, uh, where did the demons come from? You know, where did demons come from? You know, and um, I, I don't know if I want to go over each. In, I guess I could just go through each individual one and then we'll just go over that if that's OK. So mm -hmm. where, where do you believe demons come from? 
the belief of the early church, and uh, this is a uh, theory that uh, works for me because uh, presume that the uh, the apostles had a pretty good background in theology, learned at the right hand of you know at the feet of Jesus for three and a half years. But the early church, for the first four hundred years after the resurrection, it was commonly understood it was Christianity one hundred and one. Demons were the spirits of the giants destroyed in the flood of Noah. And because they were hybrid, they were neither flesh nor spirit. They were a, an unholy mixture of both. They were they were barred from the places that spirits normally go when they're separated from flesh. They did not go to uh, Sheol, which was the understanding of the uh, Hebrews uh, after death, like human spirits do. They did not uh, go to the heavenly realms, which the angelic spirits did. They were, uh, according to the book of First Enoch, which uh, explains this, First Enoch verses uh, or chapters 1 through 36, which uh, scholars call the book of the watchers, they were condemned to wander the earth until the judgment, and they would torment humanity. And it, presumably that's because humans were kind of complicit in what happened back in the days of Noah and in the years leading up to the flood of Noah. Um, they were willing to trade access to... Uh, uh, access to women for knowledge that we weren't supposed to have. So that was uh, that that was the origin of demons. And when you read the Old Testament with more of an understanding of this divine council worldview and um, start looking for, uh, say, the use of the word Rephaim, uh, the Rephaim show up in the Bible in Deuteronomy and a little bit in Joshua and uh, in the days of Noah. Uh, they or the days of Abraham, rather, they were tribes living east of the Jordan River that had to be wiped out by the kings of the east. This is the War of Nine Kings, where Kedarlaomer of Elam leads a coalition to do battle against the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and their allies. And on the way, they take out these tribes called Rephaim, living east of the Jordan River. But by the time of Noah, Og of Bashan was the last of the remnant of the Rephaim. But it turns out that the neighbors of the ancient Israelites knew who the Rephaim were, and they worshipped them. It's known from texts found about 100 years ago at a site in Syria that was the ancient kingdom of Ugarit. These were Amorites. The Canaanites were just Amorites. It's just they were living in Canaan. It's like I'm a Chicagoan because I was born there, but I'm actually, you know, German, English, Welsh, Swedish, and so on. Um, this kingdom had a, a, a number of texts devoted to the Rephaim. And when you start comparing notes... And digging into the Old Testament and the places where Rephaim is used, but translated as the dead, the shades, the departed, whatever, you see a picture emerge that these were believed to be mighty kings who lived in ancient times, who were the ancestors of the Amorites. That's what they believed. Hmm. But from the Hebrew perspective, no, no, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. In other words, the Nephilim. So Nephilim before the flood, Rephaim and their spirits after the flood, that's the equation. Wow, and so, uh, the disembodied and those spirits, spirits the were yeah. exactly, and they were worshipped as gods, or at least as deities in in Canaan when the Israelites arrived there around 1400 BC. Moses and the Israelites. What's really fascinating is that uh, back in 1999, a scholar who Mike Heiser put us on to years ago. Um, by the name of Amar Anus, A-N-N-U-S. He's Estonian, and he's written a lot about the Rephaim and the Mesopotamian uh, Apkalu, which is what the Mesopotamians called these, these entities that the Hebrews referred to as watchers. He wrote and, and showed etymologically that the heroes of Greece and Rome were the Rephaim, of the Hebrews and the Amorites. So, and you have to understand that in, in ancient Greece, the word hero meant something different. It wasn't like, you know, a quarterback who could throw for 400 yards. It was uh, a demigod or the spirit of a demigod who could intercede in the natural realm for humans. So the Greeks got their worship of uh, characters like Heracles and Perseus and uh, so on from the Canaanite Amorite veneration of the spirits of the Nephilim destroyed in the flood. Which really gets interesting then, because you think about that, you know, Jesus going and casting demons out left, right, and center. Was he doing battle with the giants? Yes. Yes, he was. That's exactly what he was doing. Was he casting out the spirits of Theseus and Perseus and Heracles? Don't know. Could be. 
It's interesting to speculate, but that's the, that's the origin of demons, and that was the belief of the early church. When you read the early church fathers like uh, Irenaeus and Justin Martyr and Athenagoras and Origen, it was just understood. The titans of the Greeks were the sons of God from Genesis chapter 6, and like those entities in Greek religion, the titans who had been overthrown, this is the fake news version, of course, overthrown by Zeus and the Olympians and banished to Tartarus, Peter specifically records that the angels who sinned, and when you read, read 2 Peter, it's clear, 2 Peter chapter 2, it's clear in context that this was a sexual sin, which could only mean Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Uh, they were cast down to Tartarus. Our Bible says hell, but the word in Greek is Tartarosis. So there's that correlation. The Titans of the Greeks were the sons of God from Genesis chapter 6. The Nephilim and Rephaim of the Bible were the heroes, the demigods of Greek and Roman religion. Interesting. Nice. Okay, I have, I, have a, I have a Bible verse that that uh, <clears throat> that I feel like proves that 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 uh that what you're saying like the demons are the are, are the, the 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 fallen angels and or the nephilim it's I, I feel like it's psalms it's psalms uh 22 12 i think this is the, i think this is jesus on the cross because it, it, it starts out the, the the verse starts out my god my god why hast thou forsaken me right get to the 12 it says many bulls are uh many bulls have compassed me strong bulls of bashan beset around me Mm -hmm. So I think that he's when he's in in the middle of his the crucifixion he sees them around they're they're there yeah. it's like they're they're around him and that's those are the and people think that's the they're talking about the bulls of Bashan because that land was very very full of uh, uh it was cattle right they, they they had a lot of cattle out that way but it wasn't that it was they they were the demons that were that were very strong bulls and that's that's speaking of some that's strong that's when you, when I read that I'm like wow when I read that I was like whoa Bashan, yeah no that's Og the king of Bashan. That's exactly right. That, that That is exactly right. There's a scholar who teaches at the Catholic University in Washington, D.C., by the name of Dr. Robert Miller II, and he wrote a paper a few years ago called The Bales of Bashan. Wow. And he actually went so far as to dig into archaeology and uh, climatology to show that uh, Despite what we read now in the Faith Life Study Bible, which has got uh, some excellent study notes right here, that uh, the comment on Psalm 22, verse 12, Bashan was a region noted for its fertility. Its livestock were well fed. And it points to uh, Deuteronomy 32, verse 14, and also Amos 4, verse 1, which talks about the fat cows of Bashan. Um, there's also a reference in Ezekiel 39 around uh, verse 17, where, you know, the, all, all of them fat beasts of Bashan. Well, you could raise goats. Dr. Miller showed you could raise goats, you could raise sheep in ancient Bashan. But if you're trying to raise cattle, you're out of luck because that region is not that fertile. It's a thin layer of soil over a bunch of volcanic rock. Mm. And uh, if you if you were trying to run a cattle operation in Bashan then or now, you'd go broke. Yeah. There were no fat beasts. There were no cattle of Bashan, uh, strong bulls of Bashan. His point was that when you see these references in the in the Bible to Bashan, it's sort of like code. You're talking about these spirits of a region that was known in the ancient world to be the literal entrance to the netherworld. Mm. Oh, interesting. So, all right. So uh, now I'm going to ask you, it says, but against uh, principalities. So are, who or what are the principalities in this verse of uh, Ephesians 6.12? That's really a good question. I was doing some reading on that this morning. In fact, I'm doing a podcast episode tomorrow night with... Uh, Dr. Judd Burton, Pastor Doug Van Dorn, and Brian Godawa, and we're going to talk about the uh, hierarchy in the spirit realm. So we'll need to talk about principalities and powers and cosmic rulers over this present darkness. The thing is, before the first century, the time of Jesus, there really is no solid Jewish writing, certainly not in the Bible, that tells us what the ranks are in the spirit realm. We really don't know. Most of what we get from this, uh, what we would call angelology, comes from extra-biblical writings like First Enoch and other, other Jewish writings from that Second Temple period. That's uh, between the time when the Jews returned from Babylon and the time that the, the Romans destroyed the, uh, the temple in 70 AD. So from like 440 BC to 70 AD, the Second Temple period, you've got a number of writings that are outside the Bible First Enoch is just one of those. You've got other things like the Testament of Abraham, the Testament of Solomon, the Testament of Levi, and so on, Apocalypse of Baruch. 
we can look at some clues and certainly in some of the writings like the letters of paul he makes reference to these entities that are clearly types of supernatural beings principalities powers and so on the uh, the word in ephesians 612 translated uh authorities or powers is uh exousia exousia he, and he uses this again in uh uh, say, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24, he talks about uh, authorities and powers. And the, the the problem is we don't really know what they are. We know we, it's clear from the context that he's talking about supernatural entities, but there are no, deta no details. We don't know what they look like. We don't know, are they different ranks of angels? They appear to be used in, uh, say, 1 Enoch in um, sort of a military sense. Um, but we don't know specifically what we're dealing with here the archai the archons the the uh, rulers or authorities uh, you've got the cosmo craters the cosmic rulers or cosmic powers the uh, evil spirits uh, the spiritual wickedness in high places in ephesians 6 12 the pneumatica tes ponarius I, I don't speak greek obviously <laughs> um, but uh, when it comes to details we, we just don't have any. And I, I can only say that uh, if God had intended that for us to understand this better, he probably would have inspired the apostles to be a little more specific in drawing distinctions between principalities, powers, thrones, dominions. Honestly, we, we can only guess. We don't know. Okay, perfect. Um, <clears throat> I'll go over First uh, Colossians 15 through 18. It says, uh, who is the image of the invisible God? We're talking about Jesus here. The firstborn of every creature, for by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they are be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. So all things are created by him, for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So at least we know that, you know, everything is being created uh, through Jesus, by Jesus, for Jesus. So we, we got to understand that Jesus is, is obviously over all these dominions and principalities, so um, when I was going to ask the question of uh, how do we combat the, these evil rulers, you you know, there's there's a list of that that Paul goes over. And also we know that, you know, in the name of Jesus is, is one way to do it. And um, uh, and and as far as like, obviously, if I ask you the rulers of darkness and spiritual hosts, it, it all kind of was involved in that question of who are the principalities. Right. So it, it'd be the same answer, basically. Right. Yeah, essentially, yeah. I mean, we we don't take the authority onto ourselves to uh, cast out demons, and and that is uh, problematic when you see guys who claim to be you know demon slayers or or whatever exorcists who yeah. you know I I command you to get out. It's like, well, okay, yeah. The sons of seven sons of Sceva had a had a problem with that when they tried to do it on their own authority instead of casting them out in the name of Jesus, but. Even in a, in a bigger sense, you see that uh, Jude makes reference to a, a strange incident where Satan and the archangel Michael were contending for the body of Moses. And yeah, uh, Michael, yeah, and we don't know why. I mean, what's what's interesting is that uh, Moses was buried in the plains of Moab, and I'm going to get back to the Rephaim here. Um, we don't know where the Book of Deuteronomy says we don't know where he was he was buried in the plains of Moab. But uh, that area is referred to in Ezekiel chapter 39 as part of the war of Gog and Magog, where God says, I will prepare a place in Israel for Gog and his, and, and his army, essentially, uh, the valley of the travelers east of the sea, and it will block the travelers, for there Gog and his, his horde will be buried. Um, east of the sea refers to the Dead Sea, and this valley of the travelers, travelers is a term that was used by the ancient Canaanites for the spirits of the Rephaim. They were called travelers or those who cross over because they cross over from the land of the dead to the realm of the living. Um, why do we think it's east of the Dead Sea? Because when God directs Moses to climb Mount Nebo to get his only look at the Holy Land, he says, climb this mountain of Avarim. That's the Hebrew term that means travelers or those who cross over. So there was something about that region east of the Dead Sea just east across from Jericho that had some connection to these, uh, to these spirits. And uh, it would appear, well, uh, it, it would appear there was something really supernatural about that area because uh, that's also where ancient Sodom was located. It's, it seems like also there, you have a lot of association with the, every part of Aim, like, like the last part of their, their, 
Is it supposed to be like like it's like Rephaim, Nephilim, um, uh, the Sam, the Sam, I can't remember the Samsamine. There's a lot of Samsamine, like, Emim. Yeah, well, the yeah. I am is just that's that's how you pluralize a noun in Hebrew. Oh, okay. So that's, that's why, yeah, it's like it's like us in English. We pluralize something. We add the letter S to the end. But okay. Um, okay. But that's I also heard that, that like Rephaim means like dead. Like you, the the it means like you're you're already like like basically walking dead. Like you're already dead. Doesn't matter what. You, your your soul is never going to be redeemed. I basically, I, I would I would say. So there's a lot of that, that a was the traditional. That was the traditional understanding. It's only been about the last forty years or so that scholars have realized that the Rephaim were something special. That yeah. these were semi-divine dead, not the human dead. But uh, usually, when that word pops up in uh, the Old Testament, the Hebrew old, you know, the Hebrew Bible, it's translated into English as uh, the the departed or the shades. For example, in uh, Isaiah fourteen which is the famous passage, you know, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Um, it says that the shades rise up to greet thee, you know, from Sheol, but the word is Rephaim, the Rephaim rise up to greet you. They're not the dead. The word for dead, human dead in Hebrew is metim. Rephaim is something else again. But for some reason, well, I shouldn't say for some reason, it's because only the last 40 years or so that the context from the uh, other texts found in the ancient Near East around ancient Israel have given scholars context to say, wait a minute, there's something more going on here than just these human dead. But uh, when you look at that area across from Jericho, just east of the Jordan River, not only was Moses buried in that area, but that's where Elijah was caught up to heaven. He crossed over the ford of the Jordan or east of Jericho, and he was caught up to heaven. So something about that area, really unique. And if that's the area that, uh, the army of Gog of Magog were, will be destroyed. You know, and Moses was buried. Is that if that's the valley of the travelers, the valley of the Rephaim? Did Satan think that he had a right to Moses' body because Moses was buried there? Ooh, Sharon pointed. Funny. Sharon pointed that out. I mean, it's really interesting. We, speculation. But again, Michael didn't take it upon himself to rebuke Satan. He said, "The Lord rebuke you." Mm. And then Jude uses this to point out that there were those who were part of the the body of believers who were taking it upon themselves to blaspheme the glorious ones. And Peter mentions that too, blaspheming the glorious ones. So there we got another term that applies to supernatural beings. Who are the glorious ones? Again, we don't know. If God had meant for us to know, he probably would have. By the way, um, here's what a glorious one is and what they look like. And, you know, we don't get any of that. Well, they must not. Well, that's awesome. So, um, here's some here's some more interesting stuff. So, who who do you think the uh, gods of old were? I think you kind of you do you think like you know when when Satan uh, tempted these fallen angels to come down with him, you know, a third of them. Do you think he said like, hey, you could become you know like God, you know, you could become worshipped like God, you could be Apollo and I'll be Zeus, and and they kind of you could be the Hindu gods, you could be. Uh, do do you believe that that's the, maybe one of the ways that he uh, tempted these angels to come so they could be like God and worship like God? Is is that who these Apollos and Zeuses and and perhaps these other uh, gods that are that are worshipped? That's a good question. And I think we get a few clues here. First of all, let's go back to Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 and 9 that you mentioned earlier. In the King James, it says, uh, when the Most High, I'm reading the ESV, the, most, the, okay. the King James says, uh, sons of Israel, or children of Israel, instead of sons of God, which is the ESV translation, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. And when you read the Septuagint translation, which is a translation made by Jewish religious scholars about 200 years before the birth of Jesus. Um, You see that uh, those sons of God in in Deuteronomy 32, uh, verse uh, verse 8, are supernatural beings. The Septuagint translated into English now. This was translated into Greek from Hebrew texts that we don't have anymore. Uh, When the Most High distributed nations as he scattered the sons of Adam, this is following the Tower of Babel incident, he set up boundaries for the nations according to the number of the angels of God. Mm. So it's clear that was their understanding. Now, when you read the table of nations in Genesis 10, you see there are 70. And uh, that's a number that in the ancient world meant all of them. Okay, it was symbolic. Did, does it mean there's 70 groups and literally 70 angels? No, it means that all of the nations are under these supernatural beings, these entities, except for Israel. 
Israel was reserved. That's verse 9. Yahweh's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. So God, after the Tower of Babel, apparently, and, and bearing in mind that the first round of rebellion, the watchers, the sons of God who came down to Mount Hermon, uh, the Genesis 6 rebellion, they're now in Tartarus, according to Peter. Jude says they're in chains and in gloomy darkness until the judgment. After Babel, where Nimrod and his people tried to build an artificial mountain, apparently as a place where the gods would once again walk among humanity. God said, all right, if that's what you want, I'm going to confuse your languages, and I will delegate to you these lesser Elohim. You'll interact with them, kind of the way he uh, gave Israel a king. When they're saying, we want to be like all the other nations, we want a king. So God said to Samuel, all right. Give him Saul. Give him Saul, but they're not going to like it. Oh. In the same way, humanity was given these 70 lesser Elohim to uh, serve as the gods of the nations. You see that in Deuteronomy uh, 4, verses 19 and 20, where God says to Moses, beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven. You be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the people, all the peoples under the whole heaven. He allotted those entities to administer his creation. Now, did he know they were going to rebel? Of course he did. God sees the end from the beginning. But he created us and he created the angelic realm with um, free will. And they chose badly. Mm -hmm. Now, in Matthew 12, let me bring up this verse here. Jesus hints that uh, we know which entity in the pagan pantheon is Satan. When the Pharisees heard, uh, heard it, they said, this is beginning at verse 24, uh, after Jesus had cast out demons from a, uh, uh, a man who was uh, blind and mute because of these evil spirits. When the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, which means Baal the prince, and bear in mind that Baal, the storm god, king of the Canaanite pantheon, was just their version of Zeus and Jupiter. Okay? The Greeks and the Romans essentially got their religion from the Canaanites. It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he, Jesus, said to them, every kingdom, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. Wow. Satan is Baal. And then when we read in Revelation 2, verse 13, a letter to the city of Pergamum, which was the location of the great altar of Zeus. Again, Zeus, just the Greek version of Baal, same entity, different name. He says, I know where you live, where Satan dwells. So that appears to be the king of the pantheon in Greece, Rome, Canaan, Many other places too, the Hittites, the Hurrians, the uh, the Norse, you know, Thor, Storm God, that's Satan. Mm. Now, who are these other entities? Presumably other fallen angels who were delegated to administer God's creation, and uh, they were tempted, as Sharon puts it this way in her uh, series of supernatural novels, the Red Wing Saga, it's a test and a trap. God knew they would fall, but he gave them the opportunity to exercise their free will just like we humans. And he respects your choice. And we rebel, right. And he'll respect your choice. He'll say, hey, and you want to do it? I'll respect it. There you go. Correct. Give you what you want. Yep. Man, that's that, that you are, you are a smart guy, man. <laughs> man, I, I like right now, like you said, this stuff, this type of stuff gets you amped up and talk about, I'm listening to you and I'm like, man, he's right up, man. Well, right up the alley, right up God, my alley. You're very kind. Yeah, all glory, very, all glory to God, man. You know, because very uh, good. Let, very that's right. To this, that's right. To this, you know, all glory to God. So, um, <clears throat> so I know you were talking on another podcast the significance of mountains. You know, like uh, why are all these pagan uh, people are you know these pagan religions trying to use mountains? Um, I understand that uh, probably the the cosmology they probably think that God is. Well, I believe, uh, I still believe in that cosmology, actually, the, the Hebrew cosmology, but they believe that God is, you know, that they're getting closer to God. So they're either, when they're pagans, are, are they like just mocking God? And then when, and then when you said Jesus was up there, he's, he's just getting close to, close to, to the most high is what was the significance of the mountains? Uh, I know you were talking about it on another podcast and I thought it was, uh, I was like, wow, that's, 
That's very interesting. Can, can you kind of go over that for us, Derek? Yeah, that, that was really the subject of my first book, The Great Inception, which grew out of a conference presentation. I was trying to find something to talk about that uh, didn't just echo what, what everybody else was saying. And it, it dawned on me in uh, looking at the Bible that almost all of the significant supernatural events in, in Scripture occurred on mountains. I mean, from the very beginning, Ezekiel 28 says that Eden was a mountain. The rebel in Eden was thrown off the mountain of God. And we always thought it was a garden. Yeah, it is, but it's on a mountain. Um, you've got uh, Abraham going to Mount Moriah for the uh, the binding of Isaac. You've got uh, the the uh, you know, of course things end up at Mount Zion. Armageddon is actually a reference to the uh, the the uh, Mount of Assembly in Hebrew. It's Har Moed, and that's where John got the term Armageddon. It's not going to be fought at Megiddo, contrary to popular teaching. Um, of course, God reveals himself to Moses at Mount Sinai. You've got a mountain that was sacred to Baal, Mount Zephon, which is why that word Zephon is the uh, the Hebrew word for the compass point north to this day. In all the other ancient Semitic languages, that word was Simal, but it was so important to the, the uh, pagan uh, neighbors of ancient Israel, Mount Zephon, that it became the word for north. That's the direction of Baal's palace. Um, so why were these mountains so important in the ancient world? It was believed commonly, not just by the Israelites, but by the uh, ancient Mesopotamians, that uh, mountains were obviously the place where, uh, where the gods lived. It, they were, the mountains were remote, they're pristine, unsullied by our grubby human hands. And uh, of course, gods being gods, they get all the best stuff. What's interesting, though, is when you look at Mount Zion, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and compare that to the mountains that were sacred to uh, these other gods, for example, Mount Hermon, which is where the creator god of the Canaanites, El, held court. You know, that's where he pitched his tent. The threshing floor of El, uh, or the uh, the tabernacle of El, was located on the summit of this mountain. It's a 9,200-foot mountain. You can only get there safely a few months out of the year because it's covered with snow. Um, likewise, the mountain of Baal, Mount Safon, um, 5,200 feet or something like that. It's, But Mount Zion... The Temple Mount in Jerusalem, it's not even the tallest hill in Jerusalem. Mm. You go to the Mount of Olives across the uh, Kidron Valley, it's 200 feet higher than the Temple Mount. Even, And we noticed this when we visited Israel. We've been there twice now um, and, and going back in March. When you go to Shiloh, where the tabernacle stood for more than 300 years before it was moved, um, the location, the probable location of the tabernacle is not even the highest spot at Shiloh. There were hills all around it. So the people could all access the tabernacle, but they could all see what was going on. Um, that's a fundamental difference between God and these pagan gods, where you have to risk your life, if you're a pagan worshiper, to approach the tabernacle of El or the tabernacle of Baal. God wants us to approach. And that's that's a fundamental difference. So, um, but yeah, when you, it's, it's really interesting that even... even for example, the uh, creation of the the Muslim religion took place on a mountain, Jebel al-Nur. Mm, you know, wow. Noah's Ark lands on a mountain, the mountains of Ararat, yeah, over and over again. These are places where significant supernatural things happen. Babel, an artificial mountain. It's it's just a pattern that repeats over and over. Yeah, I, I believe God is a lot closer than people think, you know, definitely. That's how that's how I believe. But interesting. I like. I didn't know. I didn't. But I, I didn't know is that that Thor thing. That's what I, I kind of when you said that I was like, man, that kind of bothers me because I we love those movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like, but 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 am I giving homage to a god, bro? Watch that, the new Thor, is, bro, Jason. You know what I mean? Am, am I am I spiritually fornicating because I'm I'm doing this? No, I think uh, but, what you're doing is you're 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 watching. The, the programming that's being put out there by these entities working behind the scenes to kind of rebrand these entities so that kids will say, oh, yeah, this is so cool. And we're seeing a resurgence of pagan worship, especially oh, no. things like the Norse uh, religion, which is, uh, what do they call it, Asartu, which is making a comeback. And yeah. it's in many ways, it's because the, uh, the real uh, character of these entities has been, uh, has been hidden. There's a, a, a fellow who's a friend of ours. He's a, really a deep thinker, a real good pattern recognition skills named Christopher Knowles. He writes at a blog called The Secret Sun. 
And he argues that there is a uh, a cult of the watchers out there. That the yeah. people, whether they recognize it or not, they are worshiping these watchers who were sent down to the abyss back in uh, the time of Noah. And uh, I think he's right. I think he's right. Now, I stick to what we can um, pick out of the the ancient texts and then comparing what we're seeing in culture around us. Christopher does a really good job of looking at the entertainment world and the signs and symbols that are encoded into things like music videos and movies. Yeah. That's interesting. What, what, what makes me like, these, these things have been here for thousands of years. Jesus was on the planet, was on the planet for 33, but his ministry was only three and a half years and his impact from that point on is, 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 is unbelievable. Powerful, yeah. it's, it's like, man, like it's, it, 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 it crazes me that people think that, Oh, uh, you, you, you're Catholic or you're Christian or you this or that. It's like, okay, well, my belief in Jesus Christ and you know, the most high when, you know, that belief moved on that faith moved on. You don't think that other religions and other, you know, pagan foul, very, very, uh, you know, cults didn't move on from, you know, Baal worship on people think that all oh, that just, there's no, there isn't, there, there is no, the, 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 the devil thinks I feel like, 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 uh, like I, I do the thing of like Batman and, uh, and the Joker, the Joker is nothing without Batman, you know? So it's like, you can't have one without the other. You're not going to, you can't believe in the devil and not believe in God. And, and you can't believe in God and not believe in, and not know that the devil is real either. It's like, you just can't have one without the other. And right now it's, it's coming out where it's like, wow, they're really pushing out the devil way more than anything else. And, and it's yeah. weird. It's really weird. And my kid doesn't, my kid doesn't see stuff like that, but I start to discern it because I, I, I kind of stepped out of watching a lot of TV, get rid of Disney, get rid of stuff like that and focus more on the scripture. And then you start seeing things like, Oh, wow. Yeah. But we, and this is something Sharon and I do to uh, just try to discern what kind of, um, messaging is being put out there by Hollywood. Uh, I don't, you can probably see in the, <laughs> the shelf behind me there, I've got some Godzilla toys. Um, <laughs> our daughter will be getting those for her birthday. Maybe. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I just look guilty pleasure. I love me some Kaiju movies, you know, the giant yeah. monster movies. But when you look at the Godzilla monster verse films that have come out over the last, uh, what, seven, eight years, they've rebranded, Godzilla and the other giant monsters created by Toho Films back in 1954 with that first Godzilla movie as the Titans, the original and rightful rulers of the earth. That was in Godzilla, King of the Monsters. That line actually came out and there was a scene, iconic scene, where King Ghidorah, which is the three-headed dragon, um, lands on top of a volcano, declaring himself to be the king of the world. And in the foreground, you see a cross. So you see Ghidorah with those evil bat-like wings backlit by this volcano, this apocalyptic scene with a cross in the foreground. And the message is very simple. The Titans are back and Christ has no power. Well, the creators of the film, whether they meant that imagery or not, are going to be disabused of that notion someday. Interesting, when you dig into the, some of the history of uh, the creation of some of these characters by Toho Films back in the 50s and 60s, when they introduced King Ghidorah, it was uh, supposed to be based on a, a, a Japanese myth of an eight-headed dragon. And this, this uh, is a story that is uh, like the story of the storm god taking over this king of the pantheon. It's a consistent story around the world where you've got a seven- or eight-headed dragon representing the force of evil. The only reason Ghidorah's got three heads is back in the day when they were trying to animate this, this suit with a guy inside the rubber suit. It was too complicated for the puppeteers to manage seven or eight heads, so they they just went with three. But uh, he's clearly a representation of Satan. And when you look at the imaging, of the, in fact, we're going to write about this in our next film. Sharon is going to take this section of the book called The Gates of Hell. We're going to write about the imagery in the modern Godzilla films, the uh, Monsterverse films. Godzilla constantly emerging from the sea, which in the Old Testament is a representation of primordial chaos, the abyss. And Ghidorah, with its wings, is the prince of the power of the air. So mm -hmm. is there a conflict between those entities as to who is going to rule the world? Well, that's possible. It's possible. This entity, Shemiyaza, in uh, the book of First Enoch, the leader of the rebellion described in Genesis 6, verses 1 through 4, is in the abyss. He's locked up in chains right now, which suggests that 
you know, God may see him as more dangerous than Satan because Satan still has uh, access to the throne of God, at least until Revelation 12 when he's thrown down, whenever that is or was. But he's still roaming around the earth. God has got this other dude chained up, he and his minions. But he gets back out in Revelation chapter 9 when the abyss is unlocked and opened up. And the king over those in the abyss, I believe that Shemiyaza is Apollyon or Abaddon, the destroyer. And that's the point of my book, The Second Coming of Saturn, showing how the various identities worn by this entity, Saturn, Kronos, Baalhamon, El, Dagon, Molech, Enlil, etc., etc., is uh, this entity who is now chained up in the abyss because he nearly destroyed Earth and with the creation of this hybrid army, nearly drove humanity to extinction. Satan he did, is he did more of a physical... I'm sorry. He did more of like a physical thing where where he changed the DNA and and, and but like I think uh, uh, Satan or Lucifer, however you want to put it, is is doing more of a spiritual thing. You know, spiritual battle, right? So yeah, Shimiyaza did more of a physical, where it's like, like you said, almost changed humanity, changed the DNA, uh, and uh, really muddied the waters. You know, so um, I was gonna ask. You also had a. Uh, I heard you on another podcast where you were saying that uh, there might be a difference between Lucifer and Satan. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. I have never heard that before. Um, can you kind of go over that a little bit? Sure. This is a something that uh, really uh, shifts people's paradigms. And so uh, it, it can be difficult. In fact, when I first heard the idea uh, about 10 years ago, a friend of ours named David W. Lowe wrote a book called Deconstructing Lucifer. And he made that case in that book. And I thought, no, David, come on. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, of course, Lucifer is Satan. But in the course of writing, the second coming of Saturn, um, really dug deep into Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And first of all, you don't see any reference in either of those passages to what happened in Genesis chapter 3. So there's nothing specifically in either Isaiah 14, the, you know, how art thou fallen, O Lucifer, that connects them to the sin of Adam and Eve. Secondly, you've got the uh, the apparent contradiction in Ezekiel 28, where he's described as a guardian cherub who covered. Okay, the cherubim, or cherubim, actually is the proper pronunciation, are the throne guardians of God. And uh, Ezekiel describes those things as uh, these weird creatures with four faces, human, ox, lion, eagle. Um, the depiction in ancient Mesopotamian art, they look like those giant winged bulls that stood with the human heads that stood outside the palace of Nineveh in ancient Assyria. That's what the caravim look like. And forget this idea of chubby little babies with wings. <laughs> so how could he be a cherub and also be a nakash, a serpent? Well, if he's not the serpent, if the serpent from Eden, Satan, is not the character in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, now you don't have a contradiction anymore. Thirdly, Satan in, uh, in the Bible, and by the way, that is not a proper name, both in the Old Testament in Hebrew and in the Greek New Testament, it is, there's a definite article, the, in front of Satan. It's the Satan. So it's the a title. Yeah, like basically like, the, like, like how Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. It's right. It's, it's his title. And it's, exactly. And, and if you, and that's where I feel like if you study more and you go through this stuff, God rewards you with, with the, the, with, with more and a little bit more knowledge of, of I feel like he rewards you with more knowledge of what it's like, man, you, you gotta, because it's out there, whether you like it or not. We have to Sorry. challenge, challenge our assumptions and ask the question why, and then look at deeper into the Hebrew and the Greek, what, or, or Aramaic in the case of the book of Daniel, well, what I, do these words actually mean? And, I have a good uh, question for you. I have, I have a good question. Okay. So when he, when, when the tower of Babel went up, God uh, comes down, confounds the languages. So do you think this is why you have all these different names and all these different uh, uh, phrases, like the Phoenician way, the, the uh, Egyptian way, they're all this, this same type of God, but just different names. And my second part is this, do you feel like that the internet is that one language again, where we can learn anything, we could do anything, everybody can communicate in any simple way. Do you feel like that could be like the second coming of that, that, that one language and that one, one way to communicate? Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. I mean, in, in a very real sense, the machine language that, uh, takes whatever commands we give it in whatever language, English, Chinese, Russian, whatever, uh, 
it has to communicate those commands inside the computer and machine language, the bits and bytes is universal. So in a sense, we're already speaking a single language. Uh, and it is really the goal of the uh, globalists to, you know, they, the World Economic Forum uses the phrase build back better. What they really mean is build back Babel. That's uh, <laughs> where they're trying to take us. I just did a yeah. presentation on that for uh, uh, an upcoming virtual conference for Skywatch TV. That's the goal. Bring us back under a single world ruler. You know, Nimrod was going to play that role. He is uh, perhaps a, a a type of Antichrist, but that's the goal is to bring us back to to that kingdom where we're all serfs or peasants serving that that one world ruler and, and really what that's that's what that's all about but uh, you know again getting back to the question of lucifer and the identity as uh, shemiaza when you look at the the role of the satan in the old testament he is never connected to the netherworld unlike this entity in ezekiel 28 and isaiah 24 he's clearly clearly been thrown down to shale and uh, in fact, in Isaiah 14 specifically says the, uh, the Rephaim rise up to greet, to greet thee, you know, Hey, look, you're just as weak as us. Mm. Satan is never connected to that rebellion and the creation of the Nephilim, the Rephaim. So I think, and the final clue, a friend of ours, Doug Hamp put me onto a research paper from 1994 by a scholar named William Gallagher, who pointed out that, um, the Hebrew translated into English as Lucifer, son of the morning, or day star, son of dawn, is Helel ben Shakar. And that word Helel, that name, when you transliterate it from Akkadian, which is a Semitic language similar to Hebrew, transliterated from Akkadian into Hebrew, you go from Helel, or rather Elil, which is Enlil, the Sumerian god, chief of their pantheon, uh, that's where you get Halel. It comes from uh, the the god Enlil, and Enlil was just another name of Saturn, Kronos, El, Dagon, Molech, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I believe that this is a reference to Shemiyaza, the chief of the Watchers, who rebelled in the uh, in the time of Noah. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, that's that's exactly the answer I was looking for. <laughs> so interesting. So, all right, um, and. I don't know if you want to kind of go over some 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 of the awesome research that you had in your book, you know, and 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 kind of go. I don't know I, without releasing too much, you know, because we want people to actually buy it. But I think this is a good uh, time to kind of step into that, you know, if you want to kind of go over some of the some of the awesome research you did in that. I was going to say real quick, Jason, you said that the religions came forward. I mean, look no further than than Washington, the Washington Monument, you know, just a big, uh, you know, uh, giant. Uh, well, I'm just saying how they got the people fooled. You know, like, like you got the ones that are not hot or cold, you know, the ones that sit in the middle and are just waiting for whatever it's, you know, the, 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 what I'm trying to say is that it's, it's crazy to me where people think like abortion and stuff like that and, and, and things are, they're just science, just, you know, just trying to, uh, you know, help people out that, that don't want those kids and stuff, but it's not. You're, 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 you you think about it. Some of you, who knows what they do with those baby parts or, and stuff like that. Who knows what they're sacrificing? Who knows what they're worshiping? Don't the, the movies you see, the things that are out there, the, who knows what they're, some of them might be really real. Some of them might be really, you know, like I'm, I'm doing some research on some things. And I'm just like, I can't even do it anymore. Some of the yeah. shows we've had on Josh, I'm like, man, whoa, man, you go into that, you go into that. You're like, whoa, man. Like there's one thing about, you know the nephilim and stuff like that when you when you do studies about it, then then you start to see like what they were really about those old old religions and those old pagan things they were doing weren't just like we oh we have a we celebrate christmas and we we you know we put up a <laughs> tree yeah we're we're sacrificing kids to a god that obviously existed you know and 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 like it in Daniel, it says when 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 Gabriel went went to go fight the Prince of Persia, and and yes, these are entities set over your your regions. I feel like that's that's what I feel like. Like you said, yeah, they set these uh, lower level uh, 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 angels over your over your over your countries and stuff, and then you start to worship them and their idols, and it, it's just it's it's crazy. It, it's a, it's really crazy how this the Bible can tell you all this stuff, and it's back then was going on and still going on today. It was yeah. just, it was, people just don't read the Bible anymore. They just go off on their little, 
comic books yeah. or whatever, and they start making their, their own little, you know, theologies about things. And you're like, man, you, you, you're worshiping the creation and you're not even, you're worshiping a creation, whether you like it or not, Satan is a creation. Uh, uh, Baal is a creation. They're all creations of, of some sort instead of the creator who, like you said, Josh, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ is he, he uses lying spirits. He uses he can use anything, yeah, to get the job done. Yeah, it's all part of the plan. And and uh, I thought that was interesting. Uh, you said something that I wanted to go off of, but I, I can't remember that part. I, I kind of my mind froze. Um, what, what me? Yeah, you said something I wanted to come 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 off of, but uh, anyways, yeah, what, the lying spirits. The oh yeah, there you go. The the divine council. So yeah, yeah, there you use... go. That, that that's what I want to talk about too. The divine yeah. council because you brought it up earlier about there's ranks of of spirits or in the spirit realm and like. Where do the lion spirits? Where, where they're around? The witch of Endor. What this stuff is 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 there, and that's 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 crazy to me. Like that that she had the power enough. I feel like when she when she when when Samuel uh, or was it was it Samuel that came yeah, back? Yeah, Samuel. Yeah. When, when when she brought him up, I think she was like, "What the heck." She, it sounded like she was surprised, like, whoa. Yeah, like, whoa, yeah. whoa. I mean, she was this other stuff that just tells me these things, these little, little uh, uh, fortune telling and stuff. This, this is some real stuff right now. Oh my gosh. Who is this? Well, <laughs> Derek, is that Samuel or is that a. You got to think, uh, though, Jason. Hold on. He was, he was, okay. According to the Hebrews, he would be in Abraham's bosom, right? Because he walked with God. So, uh, according to, to, to Jesus, you can't, you can't get out of that. So, I do believe that. I don't know. That some was a lying that, spirit. Some people believe that it was Samuel. Some people believe it was a lying spirit. So I don't know, Derek. What's your opinion on that? Well, the Bible says it was Samuel. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it doesn't say yes. it was a lying spirit. It doesn't say she thought it was Samuel. Yeah, the Bible, and she got the Bible says it was Samuel. Yeah, there and she was go. surprised. She cried out with a loud voice because she didn't understand what was going on. It wasn't her <laughs> familiar spirit. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I really dig deep into that, actually, in uh, the book of uh, in my in my book, the Second Coming of Saturn, because. Uh, the word translated medium in English is ove, and uh, that actually originates with a people called the Hurrians. Mm. We can trace their origin back uh, more than 6,000 years to the plains of Ararat, which are the plains below the mountain where the Noah's Ark came to rest. So this idea that you needed to summon spirits from the netherworld, we can trace back to the area close to where the Ark landed. Somebody came off the ark with the idea that, you know, we, these gods used to walk among us and now they're in the netherworld. So we need to, we need to dig this ritual pit and we have to go down into this pit and sacrifice an animal and summon them from the netherworld and they will, then they'll help us. That's uh, in fact, the new English translation of the Bible, the net Bible actually calls the witch of Endor, the medium of Endor, the owner of a ritual pit, because that's what that word means. And it comes from the ancient Hurrian. It's also that word ove in in the Hurrian language was abi. It's where the Sumerians got their word abzu, abyss. So it's all connected. It's all connected. Right um, when you get off the oh, the ark, already you're already sinning. You're already yeah. like it's complete. Uh-huh. It's like they had they had direct knowledge of God. So well, Noah had direct you, knowledge. Yeah. That's for what, what what baffles me is that I can't find Nimrod in history. The actual name Nimrod. In yeah. History. No, so who, was, who was that? Who was that actually? I've done some digging on that as well. I wrote about that in my first book, The Great Inception, and also Last Clash of the Titans. I love you, Derek. Um, you're awesome, dude. <laughs> every time you everything I say, you're oh, I got that. Don't that's worry book number that. three. Oh, that's that was in book uh, number five. You yeah, know, you're yeah, like, we, oh, we may have put that in Giants, Gods, Dragons too. It'll, it'll, it'll be. We're going to revisit that again in uh, uh, the uh-huh. Gates of Hell. But uh, the um, it, it it our our belief is that he was a Sumerian king by the name of Enmerkar. And, you know, credit where it's due, uh, an Egyptologist by the name of David Roll, R-O-H-L, put this idea out there uh, years ago. But uh, like Nimrod in the Bible, Enmerkar is uh, in the Sumerian king list as the second king after the flood, the second king of the city of Uruk after the flood. And there's a poem, a Sumerian poem that has been found and translated, you know, with found maybe 100, 150 years ago, called Enmerkar and the Lord of Arata, okay, A-R-A-T-T-A. That's probably just a variant form of the Lord of Ararat. And in this poem, this king, Enmerkar, wants to rebuild the temple of the god Enki. That's the, um, 
Uh, he was the the god of the abyss, the Abzu, at the ancient city of Eridu, to build it as a gleaming pyramid and abode of the gods. And this poem even remembers that uh, the languages of Mesopotamia were confused. A land where people with one voice praised the great Enlil um, have been confused. And so you got this poem that remembers the rebuilding of a, a great temple to serve as an abode of the gods. And somehow the work was stopped. Language was confused. This is a, a, a memory of the story recalled in Genesis chapter 10 with Nimrod and the Tower of Babel. What's really interesting is that when scholars in 1949 went to Eridu, to dig this up. And this, this was a cult center, a very important religious center in ancient Mesopotamia, down to the time of Nebuchadnezzar wow. in, you know, in the 6th century BC. Um, they found that this temple of the god Enki was the oldest temple yet discovered in uh, Mesopotamia. They found like 18 different construction layers that as time went by and as it needed to be rebuilt, because, you know, mud brick only lasts so long. Um, there are 18 layers of construction, and it would have been the largest ziggurat in all of Mesopotamia. That's that step pyramid that the Mesopotamians created. Uh, bigger than the, uh, the Temple of Marduk in Babylon, bigger than the great ziggurat of Ur for the moon god that Saddam Hussein rebuilt back in the 80s. I say would have been because it was never finished. According to the archaeologists writing in their report in 1949, that for some reason... The end of the historical period they call the Uruk period, where this city in what is now southeastern Iraq, close to the Persian Gulf, dominated all of Mesopotamia as far away as the Taurus Mountains in Turkey. The empire collapsed all at once, and the construction on this city and this temple ended, and it was very soon, very shortly thereafter, covered over with sand. Why did it end? Well, the archaeologists don't know. But if you read the Bible, it says, yeah, God confused the language and they left off building the city. Mm, wow, Archaeology wow. confirms the story in the Bible. Awesome. That's amazing. That's that's a nice. You, you are you are you're like the Bereans, man. You 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 study <laughs> and you make sure that through history it lines up. And, 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 and if you go through it, it it lines up perfectly. And it's like, wow, man, like he. he that is, I never even heard of that. That is insane. I hear a lot of stories. It's not well known. You can, you can actually find a copy of that report online, but you have to do a little digging for it. But uh, yeah, I, I don't like to make speculation about yeah, me neither. Uh, without saying that it's speculation. Yeah. But if we can okay. find the evidence and we can support it, for, for example, people ask us about giants, the literal existence of giants in biblical times, you know, how did the Nephilim come back after the flood? Well, honestly, to be honest, perfectly honest, we don't know that they did. What we can document, and this is what Sharon and I wrote in our book, Veneration, is that the Canaanites around ancient Israel and the Israelites themselves, and then later the Greeks and the Romans, in the form of hero worship, venerated or worshipped these spirits. The demonic spirits of the Nephilim inspired the cult of the dead ancestors that surrounded ancient Israel. This cult of venerating ancestors continued into the Christian era. In fact, it's now known thanks to archaeologists, that when Christians built the first churches in Rome after Constantine legalized the religion in the 4th century, they were built in cemeteries because Christians were continuing this practice of going to where grandma and grandpa were buried and summoning them through a ritual and having a ritual meal for them. St. Peter's Basilica on the grounds of the Vatican, built in what was a cemetery. Wow. In fact, they found that when they were doing rehab work, restoration work inside the Vatican, the uh, sarcophagus next to the one that's believed to hold the body of Peter has a libation tube in it so that a drink offering could be for, poured into it. Oh, so, wow. you're, yeah. So, so this, this, conti this continues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, for sure. <laughs> and, and we know that this ritual went on in ancient Sumer, you know, 500 years before the time of Abraham. We've got written texts describing this ritual of summoning the ancestors and offering them food and drink. And it continues to this day in things like the Day of the Dead in Mexico and uh, in Madagascar, where the ancestors are pulled out of their tombs and people dance with their ancestors and rewrap the bodies and they build. I mean, the tombs for the ancestors in Madagascar are better than the houses people live in. And wow. you could trace this back to the cult 
of the Nephilim that emerged after the flood of Noah. And the churches also had like a, a like a church of Mithra underneath them as well back when, when uh, right? So, yeah, so they, well, they actually had a... Not uncommon for churches to be built on top of pagan sites to Christianize these pagan sites. And I don't know that there's anything wrong with that. It's just you don't want to continue the rituals that were going on there before you built the church. Yeah, I heard that that uh, the elites were, were worshiping Mithra underneath, and then I heard that they had regular church on top. I don't know if that was if that's true. That's just something I was, I was, I was uh, learning about. Man, interesting. Yeah. And, um, uh, fellas, yeah. I, I hate to I hate to cut and run here, but I, I can I can give you maybe about five or ten more minutes. Before That's okay. I, you know what? Yeah. Just it's okay because we've already been on for yeah, uh, I'm, almost I'm, an I'm, hour. I, think I have a lot to ponder the rest of the day. I'm like, man, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well. And to be honest, I think you kind of covered a lot of the stuff they wanted to go over. Um, if it's okay, if we could definitely have you back on again, we'll we'll come up with a new subject. And um, sure. um are you down with like a round table or something? Um, <clears throat> how are you with like UFOs and stuff like that? Are, are UFO and aliens? I'm not really into them too much, but well, um, that was a third book Josh Peck and I co-authored. Okay, good. <laughs> um, okay, so still, yeah. so March 11th, I have uh, Ali Saya Datan. I don't know if you know who he is. Uh, and oh I'm yeah, he's been on my him. program a couple of times. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna have him on on uh, March 11th. But the only thing is, is he's he's at nine o'clock at night. I know that's too late for you. So maybe I can move him to 5 a.m. and we'll do we'll do the same thing on March 11th. Is that okay? Uh, well, yeah. Unfortunately, March 11th, we'll be getting ready to get out of the country. We're oh, going, yeah, Israel we're going on the 15th, so we'll be yeah. So I'm I'm trying not to do anything after about the end of February. Okay, no problem. If I'll, we can I'll... do it again at a future time, but Ali is 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 great. Yeah, uh, it, it, I think it took me like the third show before I learned how to pronounce his last name. Yeah, Asaya Datan. Hopefully, I did that right. I don't know. <laughs> so perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, Derek, any last words for our audience? We just the Bible is more real than we've been taught. We, we've in the West, we've de-supernaturalized the Bible to where the Bible is just a collection of stories and examples, you know, live your life like Jesus. He's a life coach. No, he did specific things at specific locations in response to what the pagans had been conned into doing by these fallen Elohim, these, these fallen spirits. We can use the word angel. That's not really specific enough, but, uh, you know, just the, the the place where Jesus declared his divinity at the base of Mount Hermon and then climbs Mount Hermon for the transfiguration, even where he based his ministry in Capernaum. There are reasons that he did those things in those specific locations. In the book, The Second Coming of Saturn, I show the connection between Mount Hermon and the Mount of Olives. Why did Jesus spend so much time in the Mount of Olives during the last week of his life? It's connected to this entity, the Romans called Saturn, who I believe was Shemiyaza of the Hebrew tradition, the leader of the rebellion in Genesis 6, who I believe is also Apollyon or Abaddon, the destroyer, gets out in Revelation 9. But Jesus has already won the victory. And that's the thing to remember. As we look at the world around us and the rising darkness, the globalists of the World Economic Forum and their allies in business and entertainment, even the religion. I mean, Pope Francis using the phrase, build back better. Mm, yeah. They think they're winning. They think they're winning. These fools think they're winning. But Psalm 2, you know, Sharon keeps pointing me to this when I, I start, you know, I'm out on the ledge, you know, after some news story really gets me riled up. Remember, the Lord looks down from heaven and holds them in derision. He laughs. And then he will speak to them in his wrath and saying, as for me, I have set my king on my holy hill. So bear that in mind. These people who take it upon themselves to tell us how we should live. They think they're winning. Yeah, I love that. But a day is coming where God will say, nope, and they will bow the knee in terror. So be on the right side of history. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do it. It's very simple. You don't need to be a theologian. 1 Corinthians 15, the first few verses, describes it very simply. The gospel by which you are saved Accept that Jesus Christ, in accordance with the Scriptures, died for your sins, and that, in accordance with the Scriptures, on the third day He rose again from the dead. That's all there is to it. The, the rest, the rest will follow behind. The gospel. I love. Become that. a follower of Christ, okay, guys. Not just a believer. To follow, follow what Jesus did. Amen. He gave us a blueprint, okay. So be an ambassador, please, Amen. guys. Yeah, yeah. Derek, Derek ended it in a perfect fashion. So, um, Jason, any last words for anybody before we get on, dude? I, I, a I I am gonna say Derek is a, is a, is a wonderful guest. We've had many 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 wonderful guests, but again, he's right up 
my alley of, of, of views and, and scripture and the stuff that it backs up is, and, and yeah, if you don't get it now, you're never going to get it, <laughs> get it, read it, study it. It's hard. I know it is. I've been through it many times in my life, but every book, it's not a life coach. It's this, this is, this is, this is Holy spirit inspired written for you not for everybody else, for you to understand it and get it. And, and then you could divide it and rightly divide everything. And so yeah. amen for this. So this. every conspiracy theorist that's listening, we love you. Okay. But you got to understand you could search every crevice from the ends of the earth. You could search everything, scour the internet, but the truth is on your nightstand. It's right there. The Holy Bible. So everything Derek was going over guys, Look how deep and interesting that that was just an hour conversation of of just digging into little parts of scripture. Okay. We went over what uh Ephesians 6 12. We talked for a half an hour just on that one verse. There's so much packed information in the Bible. It's a beautiful thing. All the Christians that are listening, open up your mind a little bit. Don't let the pastors teach you everything that you learn. Let the Bible and the Holy Spirit teach you everything you learn because when you start digging into the scriptures, you're going to find out that what your pastor is teaching you might just be one-sided on what he's learning from the seminary schools. He's not maybe opening up his horizon enough, not putting down any pastor out there. I love you guys. You're doing a great job and you're, and you're doing great things for the Lord. But we just want to say, uh, I'm going to definitely end this in prayer right now. Everybody that's listening, please share this, uh, you know, like this comment and everything. It helps, the, it helps us. I know we're probably getting shadow banned a little bit with the stuff we go over, but um, uh, I'll end this in prayer. So, Father God, in the name of Jesus, first of all, please, we ask you to give Derek and his wife a safe trip to Israel. Uh, put your, you know, put a legion of angels around him. It looks like he's exposing a lot of the stuff in the, in the, in the spiritual realm that maybe they are not happy about, obviously, but, but you know, he's, uh, he has, he has you, so he's covered by you definitely, but give him a safe flight to Israel, uh, safe travels, uh, safe, uh, you know, when, when they're in the hotels that they're staying or wherever they go, make sure they have plenty of food and water when they're traveling in the desert. Uh, keep them safe, please, Lord. We, we need uh, soldiers like this on the battlefield so we could uh, fight against these uh, principalities of evil and these rulers, you know. And Father God, we appreciate you giving us the, the word of God, the double-edged sword to go against uh, Satan and his, his, his rulers. We appreciate you giving us prayer. Uh, I know that some, you know, back in the day, people had to ask Aaron to please pray to pray to you. You know, we actually get uh, we get Jesus Christ, you know, the, the, the bridge between us and you. Thank you for giving us that. Thank you for giving us your, your son to die on the cross for our sins. We appreciate everything you do for us, Lord. We, we do. Thank you so much. And we love you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Derek. Amen. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I'll just ask maybe after uh, after your trip, or maybe we'll have you back on if that's okay. We'll give you some time. <laughs> All right. Happy to do it. And thank you. you seriously, thank you. I appreciate everything you do. And God bless everybody that that's listening.